Welcome to the Abstract Doctors Podcast. Today, Dr. G and Dr. C speak with PhD, President and Co-Founder at Valencell, Stephen LaBeouf. For more information on Stephen, please visit valencell.com. Visit the Abstract Doctors for information and upcoming podcasts. The Abstract Doctors Podcast. The doctors are in. Open up your mind and say ah. Welcome to the Abstract Doctors abs- uh, Podcast. That's it. Hey, Dave, guess who we have today? Who do uh, we have on today? Uh, we have Stephen LeBeouf. I think I was close. LeBeouf. Uh, uh, yeah, LeBeouf. you're close enough. I mean, in, in Cajun culture, you we say LeBeouf. Oh, Cajun LeBeouf. All right. So, All right. So the criteria for getting on today's podcast is being uh, uh, an aficionado, uh, aficionado of science, uh, art, and creativity. And, uh, but his uh, day job title is co-founder and president of Valencell, which uh, I'm going to let him describe exactly what, but uh, the way I would maybe put it is he's behind the scenes for the vast majority of the wearable technology uh, 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 execution going on out there. Uh, but uh, take it away, gentlemen. All right. So uh, my name is Dr. Stephen LaBeouf. I'm one of the founders and also the president of Valencell. And Valencell is an interesting company in this space because, you know, we don't make our own wearable devices. We make technology that goes in them. And since the very beginning, we started as a technology provider in this space. And, and folks take our technology, put it into the wearable devices to allow those devices to measure a variety of different biometrics it, while they go about their daily life. I think the biggest contribution Valencell has made into this marketplace is allowing you to measure biometrics accurately enough for various different use cases in devices you already wear. Uh, such as earbuds, watches, in some cases, eyewear, in some cases, patches. And this all came from what we had envisioned all the way back in 2006. And we've been kind of growing it to this very day. I, I, I love what you said, uh, the word enough and, and uh, quality enough. Uh, I think life is uh, uh, an interplay or, or conflict or whatever you want to say between pragmatism and idealism. And uh, I, I think you're trying to thread that needle. Obviously, in, in your world, it's basically cover, uh, comfort versus um, quality data. And there are certain, uh, say, light sensors that are good enough for certain things, but not good enough. But they're clearly more comfortable than several other things. That's right. Uh, you know, when we, if you look at the marketplace today, it kind of speaks for itself. When Valencell started back in 2006, there were somewhere between like five and 10 million heart rate monitors that sold around the world, period. And they were all chest straps. And frankly, I think the number is much less than that. And, and now there are hundreds of millions of heart rate monitors that sell across the world. But really of that number, a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of those have the same accuracy as a chest strap, but it doesn't matter for the use case. Uh, for example, if the use case is, I wanna know if I'm in the right heart rate zones. Well, if you've got a good performing optical heart rate monitor, that's gonna tell you that every bit as good as a chest strap. 
but but if if you're trying to determine something like for example um is am i experiencing atrial fib while i am on a brisk walk uh, that's going to be hard to do with with an optical monitor today but with it with an ecg based device you could and and so one of the ways that that's that's been addressed is uh, people might you might use the optical sensor technology as a screen to get some level of confidence that hey something ain't going on right and then tell the person now take an ecg measurement either for example by them taking a a uh, in in a, a measurement in wherever they're at, a resting measurement of their heart rate by placing their finger, for example, on a smartwatch, or if they have a chest strap on, take that data from the chest strap. Well, it's interesting. What you're describing is the process of evolution that's, that's brought us all to this current day. It starts with a general attempt to capture something, whether it's the, the uh, a, a organ that kind of looks like an eye capturing light and that's good enough for many creatures to, to exist. Some need to, to define movement, some need to define color, right? Some need to define clarity. But, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to start with a, quote, perfect case because it's not perfect for every situation. And, and I think we've seen that with wearables. It's, as you said, it's kind of started general and it was, it was small potatoes and then people found different reasons for it. Now, I think it also that also parallels what patients or users find like they might not need a thousand bits of information or you know a microscopic assessment of their heart rate or their breathing they may want a more general because it's too much it's overload for them so so I, i'd ask you how how do you kind of work with the different companies or the end users or whoever it is to kind of figure out just how much iteration or evolution you need to have with your products or with your sensors it really starts with the use case right away from the beginning. So, for example, um, let, let's look at a company that is using our technology for a medical purpose. And that uh, one example of those companies that I, I like to give is the company GoGoBand. I don't know if you've heard of them, but this company, they make a, a leg-worn band that's designed for a base, essentially being a therapeutic device for childhood enuresis. So basically, you know, people are wet in the bed. Uh, how can you sense that there can, is there a way to say, I know you're about to wet the bed, wake you up, and you can, then you can go take a piss and then go back to bed and sleep happily ever after. Uh, piss being the technical term of urination. And so that- that Micturation, micturation, elevating the game. Yeah. In that, in that case, in, in that case, what you have is a situation where you, 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 you want you, you want to be good enough to be able to for with, with few false positives, but we'll talk about these false positives in a bit. It's important to the use case. With few false positives, you want to be able to wake somebody up to let them know they're about to wet the bed. So they get up and go and go back and then ergo not wet the bed. And, and you know, before we came along and before GoGoBand came along, there was no technology like this. I mean, the mainstay, even to this day, because GoGoBand is just getting off the ground, uh, the mainstay is a sensor on the bed that lets you know, okay, you pissed, now wake up and do something about it. And then, you know, that's kind of like uh, not the best scenario. It's like you've already gone, you know, okay, yeah, something went wrong. And, and you think about this scenario and you think about it, if you think about it right, you think about how many false positives is okay you know, for a person in this situation, because it's not, you don't need to be perfect. It's absurd to think you will be, even if you have a perfect monitoring device, what's the chances that you implement it perfectly in a use case? So accept there'll be some errors there, but, but what kind of false positives are acceptable where you wake somebody up and they really don't have to go? 
And what are the real negative repercussions of that? In some cases, you might wake somebody up and it's not so bad. You know, yeah, they don't really have to go, but it's not so bad. But if you stop them from wetting the bed, where's that ratio at? And they went through this. Right, 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 right. The uh, pap smears are the, the, the perfect screening tool. Uh, uh, false, false negatives are uh, just not acceptable, but false positives are no problem. Yeah, it's, it's a great analogy there, I feel. And, and, and so in this particular case, you know, we got to work with them about a level of our technology and how it could help them for that, that level of accuracy they needed for that use case. And, and this is, it's about working together right now over you know, these different use cases. <laughs> you, can't, um, you can't be in a false setup. No, you can only... So, so obviously there's a little creativity in your life or spontaneity, or maybe it's the same thing. Uh, can you tell me how, uh, number one, you've intuitively used that in your personal life, if that's helped you with Valencell, and two, if, if you're actually doing anything programmatically in that direction? Well, the, so I would say that the best the spontaneity has helped is by seeing farther into the future than our competitors could and being more fearless about it, you know, and not being. So one of the things at Valencell is I like to think of our, our kind of a, our, our culture, our personality as being true, smart and fun. You know, we're true, true scientists here, true scientists. We we are skeptics. of We're the biggest skeptics of our own technology. Smart because we don't hire idiots here other than me. And then fun because we're, we're not afraid to have fun. We're not afraid to be spontaneous. No one, is, no one gets kicked away from having a crazy idea. Now, we're going to make fun of it, of course, but you, we're not going to kick it away. And, and so that, that spontaneity and creativity has helped us by envisioning what the future can be, really weird ways of solving some of those problems, and, and also being a little bold to go and, and take some, some, some risks that other companies wouldn't. Nice. And, and, you know, one thing I'd ask is, you know, are we just recording data in the, or extracting data or or identifying it in the, in the standard way we've always checked blood pressure or, or pulse or, or, or uh, oxygenation, or are you looking at creative ways or creative measures that look at, you know, that uh, things that are more functionally relevant and that are, that are going to be pinpoint, you know, yeah. yeah. And, a, and how do you how do you go? What's your creativity process about saying, let's not just get stuck in the same box. We're just looking at heart rate variability. That's nice. But <laughs> is there a measure? Is there a measure or is there a way to look at it in a way that's really relevant to per, to an athlete that wants to elevate their game, but doesn't quite, you know, isn't getting to that mark? What, what, what are you finding, Steve? Yeah, so so um, the. What, what you're getting at here is interesting because it's, it's saying, okay, you can measure certain stuff accurately. Okay, that, that's great. But um, have you looked at, now that you're able to get this data in a way you couldn't get it before as people are living their daily lives, how can you use that in a unique way? I think that's what you're getting at uh, for, for the use cases. And, and I'll give you one example that's outside of the athlete space. It's in the blood pressure space. So, you know, Valence, so we have this technology we, we developed and we're, we're putting through the FDA right now that with a wearable device will track your blood pressure within the same level of tolerance as a typical blood pressure cuff. And it's, of course, it's revolutionary. It's a huge, huge, huge deal. 
but I think some of the things, and, and you, you might say, you know, one might say, well, okay, well, this is kind of cool. Yeah, you, you measure in blood pressure now without the need for a cuff that expands it out to a large group of folks. And that is a big deal. But there's also the aspect of now that you can track people's blood pressure at multiple times of the day, what can that tell you about them that you wouldn't have known before? And could that be a better um, diagnostic tool for better outcomes than, than simply measuring blood pressure as a spot check? And we see that so the, the folks that we're, we're providing the technology to for evaluation today, some of those are indeed investigating that. They're investigating, are there, there better, um, better ways to track hypertension in one's lifestyle choices on hypertension and also therapeutics and, on hypertension, you know, by, by this type of methodology? Let, let me, if I can take that further clinically, uh, the, the, the sea change that's going to happen amongst physicians uh, um, is, is looking at things longitudinally as opposed to cross-sectionally. Uh, we know the autonomic nervous system, the precursor to hypertension, one of them is this lack of cardiac dipping when you fall into sleep. And sure, it took 10 years for, for cardiologists to start prescribing beta blockers at night instead of in the morning. Um, but still, I have no idea what's going on in those first few hours of sleep. Now that everybody's being tracked, and we're not comparing your blood pressure to 50,000 other people's blood pressure, we're tracking your blood pressure before you go to bed and what it is two hours later um, amongst yourself over the last three months. And, and, and thinking longitudinally is new, quite frankly, yeah, yeah. for my colleagues. Yeah, I think some of the, the biggest obstacles to wearables in the medical field are just how some of these um, connections you can make with them, you, there's no um, culture to support them yet. You know, it's not how people are used to, it's not how physicians are used to diagnosing and treating people. And and, you know, one question is, you know, how, how long will it take that to change? But I'll tell you something here, um, that the blood pressure technology we developed, part of the reason we developed it the way we did, I'm glad you talked about non-dippers, because this is really apropos here. Uh, a lot of the reason why we focused on actually giving a blood pressure number is because that's what physicians understand. You, 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 you could, and, and not because physicians are idiots, of course, we know physicians are not idiots, but it's because there's a workflow that exists and that's how you're used to doing it. At Valence Cell, we have a certain workflow. Somebody might come along and say, look, this is an idiotic workflow. Why don't you do it this way? But it's now we have to change our whole workflow. It's, it's just, in with physicians, it's even bigger than that because the workflows are so connected to so many different players. Uh, the payers are different. The, the folks treating people are wide and broad. The, the, then you got the patients, you got all, all these different, different, different connections and all those have to be in sync. So I think it's, it's really tougher for the physician in that way. So, so, uh, but I tell you, you could have a, a, a more straightforward way. There's a, there's a, a more straightforward way to determine whether or not somebody's a non-DIPA or not with PPG technology by collecting data on this and building a machine learning model specifically for that. And you don't need to measure blood pressure. You don't need to you provide a blood pressure outcome. But there's two challenges with that. One is, uh, will it be accepted by the medical community? Because you're not providing a blood pressure value. You're saying, didn't dip. You know, and uh, I mean, uh, I think typically physicians are going to challenge, challenge that as they should, because that's a, it's a different workflow there. Um, another thing is that that model you develop is going to be very specific to that particular piece of hardware you've got. So 
if, if you want to try this on another platform, you kind of have to start from scratch again. That's kind of one of the weaknesses of some of these, these approaches. So, so th that's one of the reasons we took the approach of the more challenging, uh, uh, the, you know, the more vexing uh, ch a challenge here, which is, is actually providing in a wearable device a blood pressure value that is every bit as good as one a blood pressure cuff would tell you. Yeah. Uh, hey, Dave, I think you're on mute. Do you know that? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. Um, I, I, I our our electronic medical records, my workflow. Uh, I gotta I gotta see patient every blank 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 blank, and I gotta hit fifty different boxes to hit blank blank yeah, blank yeah. blank. And now you want to tell me I need to look, reframe the way I look at it, it, it's you know it pragmatically that's going to be a big obstacle. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that is, so one of the things in the blood pressure case, one thing that also has kind of given some fuel to our methodology today is now that there are reimbursable codes for physicians collecting BP information from someone at home. Because, you know, you got to make a living. I mean, you, you know, right. you spend your whole day clicking boxes and not get paid for it. Uh, and, and so the, the, this, this really helped out to, to kind of give another reason right. for the community to accept this. And I, I think it's helpful. It's, it's definitely not as much as could be done to help push this through, but I mean, it, right. it is something. Right. Remote patient monitoring codes have been around for a couple of years, and now they're proposing uh, remote therapeutic monitoring uh, for, for psychological, uh, uh, more subjective biomarkers. Um, and this is my prediction. Um, you know, maybe if we move forward 20 years, there's going to be a massive drop in suicides and, and it'll be because people are being monitored and there'll be certain triggers to reach out and help them. And they'll help them three weeks before they get to the event that could potentially cause suicide. And so we'll see this giant drop, but we'll never be able to prove what intervention it was because we'll have changed the course and the trajectory three weeks prior. Um, and, and that's one of the, the beautiful things uh, I think about uh, it, taking the physiological monitoring and coupling it with uh, psychological monitoring. Yeah, yeah, especially when you combine that objective data from the biometric monitors with someone who actually understands the subjective or, you know, for, for example, a great stress is a great example of this, you know, right. uh, because, you know, so what's weird about people is we get stressed and a lot of times we, some of us, we don't even know we're stressed. And then right. uh, in, it's, it's especially interesting when the biometrics show overwhelmingly that you're in a state of stress and you overwhelmingly believe you are, but right. then, Someone who is not you sees that, who's especially if they've got expertise in this area and says something ain't right. And now looking at your biometrics, it definitely is not right. Because the thing about uh, biometrics, too, is they, they can mean multiple things. You know, is 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 my stress up really, really high and I don't know it because I'm excited about a relative coming to visit me? Uh, right. Or, or, or is it because there's something biologically screwed up with me? You know, that, that uh, maybe I haven't been sleeping enough or I'm super stressed about a relationship or some some financial situation and I, I'm not thinking about it. So. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is so you give me my segue to my passion for the last 12 years is understanding heart rate variability and that nexus. 
between uh, healthier brains and healthier hearts um, and, and the autonomic nervous system. I, I think that is the marker of the parasympathetic system. I actually uh, uh, viewed a conversation you had online uh, recently about physiology of the, audit, of the immune system and exercise. And I waited till now to, to give you my thought and see what you think. Oh yeah, Nyman's um, research. Yes. Oh, so, here we go. Bring it. So <laughs> reveal. So, so, so exercise. Well, we know that exercise correlates with immunity, and we know that HRV uh, it correlates with immunity. And then the the conundrum that we're in is we know that exercise is so useful for these people, but we also know in the world of burnout that there's a point where exercise is effective until it isn't. And what is the marker of it isn't? And, and, I, and I personally think it's, it's, not, it's not tracking a, a, a marker of load, which I consider heart rate, but it's, it's, there's a certain point where the load is so big and so persistent, you lose the ability to recover. And that is the point. Uh, and that is why I believe heart rate variability is the marker of when is exercise a good thing either for burnout or for immunity um, uh, and when it potentially is worse. Yeah. A great uh, analogy in, in, I'm sorry, I'm, I think I'm talking over you, but no, the great analogy is, is, uh, is in, you know, static mechanics that, you know, engineers have to learn all of us have to take a course in that is that you could, you could apply uh, a, a ton of stress to an item totally recoverable, but at some point you get to where the stress generates a strain that is unrecoverable. And, and I think HRV does a good job of characterizing that. The, the trick with HRV is that you ne absolutely need to get a baseline of the person first. So you need to, you need to get a baseline of the person in, under the, the, the typical daily life. And ideally you do this for a week. You know, that's how First Beat used to do it. Uh, I don't know if they're still taking this approach or not with their, the acquisition that happened, but you, you do a, a week of baseline it. And from there, when you when you understand the problem you're trying to address, you, you if you have an expert who knows how to make sense of the data, uh, you can really achieve quite a bit. Uh, example, uh, uh, go -Go Band, you know, the, the, the methodology, the whole theory behind the methodology is autonomic, that there's a connection between the hypothalamus and this re, uh, this relieving that happens at nighttime for control of your bladder. And so, as you as you can imagine, heart rate variability is a big part of what they do. But, but you, somebody might say, well, look, you know, um, anything could change your heart rate variability. And that's what's great about this use case. When you sleep, that pattern is very unique in sleep. It, it, it right. may not be unique when you're awake. So the context becomes really important. Yeah. And, and what I found working with a half dozen different heart rate variability monitors, whether they're PPG or ECG, uh, is that they seem to be... Uh, I want to get this right. They seem to be accurate, but not precise. You cannot, you know, I can depend on the data of a device once I get that baseline, but I can't, I can't look at your, I, I, you, you can't have a, a, a whoop band for two weeks and then a bio strap the next two weeks and try and interpret something off of the two. That's right. Um, well, I mean, that whole problem of crosswalking, you know, data or 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 or, or uh, information is pervasive. You know, so so the the key is 
you know, wh why isn't Valencel inventing that standard or harmonization is the word they use in data, right? How do you harmonize across these devices or across the, the guts of the, the product? And, and is that something that's doable or is it desirable, Stephen? You know, yeah, that's in the case of it, so it depends on the metric how straightforward it is to do. The reason why we chose in the blood pressure technology to, to actually generate actually generate a number is we knew that would harmonize across all the platforms. People know it's commonly accepted brachial artery pressure, and so, so our, our brachial arterial pressure. So so that worked out well. In the case of HRV, it's much harder to do because there's a few different things here. One is something y'all touched upon that that the the tolerance. Uh, you know, the, the tolerance of an HRV measurement, that, that, that error that's associated with it, varies so much depending on the device that's used and the context in which it's used. So some devices might be more accurate to a chest strap in a resting use case. Others might be more accurate in, 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 a, in a more active use case, depending on what, how they're designed in a variety of things. But then also in HRV, it's unique because it, you, an objective number doesn't mean anything by itself. Uh, whereas, you know, if I tell you your blood pressure is 150 over 60, you know, you know, there's a problem. Uh, your systolic is really high, your diastolic is low, something is not right. Uh, but if I tell you your, your you know, your, um, say your uh, PNN 50, you know, is, is 150, um, what does that really mean? You know, it, it's, it's, it only has meaning in context of your historical data. And if you have your historical data, it means a hell of a lot. Uh, but if you don't have it, it's not there. And so the getting, you know, I do like how the, you know, we had first be kind of be the first, how you say, warrior in this case of HRV, Whoop Now and Aura Ring and others. I think even Apple to some degree, though not so much, Garmin, Sunto, they, they've been coming in with trying to kind of educate people on, on HRV and how to use it. Uh, whether or not it will be, be used by physicians in any particular way in the future, I really can't say, but I will say there's a lot more awareness about it now, almost infinite amount of awareness now compared to how it was five years ago. Yes. So, so again, let's get back to uh, what do you do recreationally? So, I deal with people who are stuck, whether it's athletes, burned out doctors, patients, uh, PTSD, chronic pain. Uh, does Steven get stuck? And when Steven gets stuck, what does Steven do? Oh, right. Well, what I find helps me out the most is porn photography. I just get, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it does help, but it's not what helps me the most. So uh, the, the reality is what, what helps me the most is I have a number of creative passions. I am an artist myself. I'm also a writer under a pen name and also have a variety of other things that I do to kind of kind of get my mind straight and, and kind of to, to um, uh, how would you say, decompress from, from a variety of different things. So I learned those, I learned those stress relieving mechanisms a long time ago and they, they've worked out well for me. I guess part of it's fortunate, I have a lot of different interests so I can, so I can do those things and kind of, kind of get out of that. Uh, and, and because of the types of interest they are, because they tend to be more artistic as opposed to physical, uh, uh, you know, the, I, I can do them almost any place. So it gives me a, lo a lot of flexibility there. Uh, uh, give us an example of, 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 of a piece of artwork or uh, what, what you could share with us. Well, the, so one of the things is I'm a freelance cartoonist. So I've been cartooning for a long time. So, you know, I'll get an idea for a cartoon, I'll sketch it out and I will either make the cartoon myself 
or I will sell the the idea to another cartoonist who will who put the, put that through. And I dig it. You know, I dig that whole process of doing that. Uh, another thing I do that is kind of a you know um, bizarre thing that de-stresses me, and I have no idea. Y'all really want to hear this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, can I can you uh, say the the cartoon that we might Google? Uh, well, if you have well, if you have a series of anything or well you know i kind of don't think that would be good because okay all right uh, the, the thing is like the folks who buy this they really want it to be their their own and frankly you know what's interesting is what they do to it like i think okay this would be a great gag and i see that they end up implementing it better than me you know like it's just, they just needed kind of a spark right Right. But but my okay. cartoons, uh, the ones that I have that you can see that are mine, go under a few brands. I have one that is called uh, Pork Chop, another one called uh, Lobsterd, and another one called The Man. And you may see some of those running around places. But usually, it, the ones that you'd be most familiar with be ones that other artists, not just cartoonists, have used. Right. And and so, do you do mansplaining on The Man? <laughs> is that is that the man, oh so the man is based off a college roommate i had um that uh this guy was a total asshole and i really loved the guy i mean he was like this charming asshole guy you know and uh and he really just was a great inspiration for this great strip but he moved to new orleans and became happy and then i lost all my inspiration so I, right. I have to really get him to get a new cartoon i have to get him on a good day where he's pissed off back to his old the man ways before i get some more inspiration for that nice and i did interrupt you you were on a flow onto something when you said are you sure you want me to get into this and oh, i'm yeah. going to say yes so i do another another thing i distressed myself with which is bizarre as anything could possibly be at least it's not exhibitionism you know that that would be you know socially not acceptable is that um stream but conscious uh, so very karaoke and so you know you have a, a making a reservation online at a, at a you know restaurant or whatever the case might be. And there's a comment section inside the, the, the restaurant reservation. I always, always put down the first thing in my mind in that comment section. Now I put, I put my thoughts down there and it, for some reason it's a huge de-stress thing, okay? And I, and I do this and I forget completely about what I wrote. And so I'll go to these restaurants and sometimes when I write, I'm greeted by the owner of the restaurant who will pay for our dessert and stuff like this because they had they cracked up so much about what I wrote and I completely forgot what I wrote about. So I feel like not only is it distressing me, but it's actually helping other people out too, you know? Um, but there is an element of kindness. That's one parameter to it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It, it, I've never had somebody show up and say, look, we ain't serving you because what comment you wrote down in this box. <laughs> that, that could be a problem. Yeah. So... It, it, it's sort of like an amnesic comic, you know, he, he does his joke, he's bit, but, and, and he just leaves it and it just see what happens. You know? He what? He drops the mic. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, I know, but it's more amnesic. You know, he doesn't exactly, yeah. doesn't even remember what he said, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny or very, you know, what's great yeah. about it is I never have to accept how much of an asshole I really am. Right. Right. That's, That's beautiful. About it. It's special. Sure. Well, uh, denial is very effective until it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so, fascinating stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, you know, just tell Cuomo about that one. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's not go there. But, <laughs> yeah, we'll all be in trouble. bunch of bunch of white males on this uh, <laughs> podcast. Let's not do that. Yeah. Well, 
I'm fascinated by, by your thought processes and obviously what's come out of it as well as your diversions. That's, that's terrific. And obviously, you know, one of our foci or focuses, I guess, is that uh, these diversions are actually one of the keys to uh, the wellness and the performance. So whether that, again, it's creativity or whether it's just doing multiple things with your time and thoughts. And that's, you know, you're a perfect example of how successful one can be when, when you really just don't focus on a single thing. And you, tr you, know, you try to kind of be creative and even just how you approach you, the solutions you're coming up with, which is fascinating. I, I expected no less, but it's nice to hear. <laughs> It's nice to hear uh, that you're doing Steve, that, Stephen. Yeah. Stephen, uh, David is a, uh, the principal uh, researcher for the Brain Injury Research Consortium for the VA and the military system and a big believer of creativity for brain health and Never wearables thought. and so forth. And so that's why I thought it would be an ideal uh, uh, guest to have you on uh, because we're, we're all in the same, trying to, I, I have uh, gradually become a little more spontaneous over the years, but uh, I still have a long way in We've my worked, creativity. I'm working on being spontaneous. But, but, yeah. but, but Stephen, I am going to send you my, the seminal chapter of my life's work called Autonomic Rehabilitation, Adapting oh, to Change, that does start with a poem that each time I submitted it, uh, Dave would put it uh, in, in the front of the text, and each time I would put it in the back, I said, my gig is first to win somebody over with science and then loosen up, and he just told me to grow a pair. So, uh, yeah. so well, and, and I should also add that, Ron, you don't know this, but I'm now working with, uh, I think, the largest cardiac rehab research team in the country uh, because we're looking to bring a study to VCU that has to do with cardiac rehab. And I'm trying so hard to get them to get wearables into the mix. So I will keep you updated on that. We will, I'm sure we'll be using some of Steve's, Steven's um, uh, a wearable technology if we can get there, but we will get there. But but I had a great comment. This is the, the king of all cardiac rehab in the cardiology world. And they don't quite get wearables or virtual care, but I'm going to get them there. So, so we may have a follow-up call in a couple months. Uh, we're putting in a grant probably in the next two weeks, uh, which we'll be part of, and you will be part of that, but we'll, I'll give, I just like he, just like Steven can't say Mickey Mouse as the person that he's influencing the cartoons on. I can't say, the, <laughs> I can't say the name of these cardiologists because we're not there yet, but it's, I think it's going to get funded. So it's kind of a neat thing. And I'd love to do wearables, home-based, community-based care as opposed to the old model of healthcare. So all well, news. All Dave, yeah. You know, one of the things you just talked about as far as, as uh, a mental rehabilitation or brain rehabilitation, or however that was described, it reminds me of a, another intersection between my field and yours, which is in cognitive load and some of the really, uh, really interesting findings that have been discovered in context of hearing health and cognitive load. In, in the mind, you know, for the for the longest time, we thought that that hearing would cause your hearing to go. Billy Joel, yeah, <laughs> was, was was you know your your ears wearing down, the hairs on your ears fall out, and that does happen, of course, as you get older. But 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 the reality is, it looks like all the data is is pointing towards that's by far not the biggest issue. Yep. It has to do with atrophy of the brain. Yep. And yep. discovered through some research that had been spearheaded out at the Cleveland Clinic, yeah. and. And, and now what we're learning is that there's opportunities to help people with, with to detect that their cognitive load is being taxed. Yep. 
so that then they can redirect themselves and not have some of the issues that are commonly associated with hearing health. And, well, and well, there was an article on that last week, a big article on, on some digital source I saw. And, and, you know, I could talk forever about the association between hard, hard of hearing and dementia, which you're talking yeah. about. And there, I mean, age 40 is a key age. If you start at age 40, you have an amazingly high rate of Alzheimer's at age 70. And it, it's probably less with brain atrophy, which is, it, it, I guess at some level it is, but actually it's the vascular supply to the hearing organ parallels the vascular supply to the brain. I and mean, obviously the hearing organ is part of the brain, but it's, it's more sensitive and something about early deafness or hardness of hearing related to dysvascular predicts brain health. It's fascinating. I mean, you know, you're, you're definitely onto it. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's an early, it's the canary in the coal mine for Alzheimer's is he, early onset of hardness of hearing. You know, it's, it's a, yeah. one of the ways that you can use this in a smart hearing device, for example, yeah. integrating our technology into hearing aids is to determine that somebody is under cognitive stress. Yeah. Determine this in part through HRV, but some other parameters that are pulled off the device. Yep. And and uh, and and then when you when you sense that, letting them be aware of this, yeah. so that they can yeah. be in a less distracting state. They're not they can actually then use that part of the, the brain to focus more on the hearing rather than the other things that are around. Yeah. Uh, and also maybe prevent a catastrophic outcome. For example, somebody might be so caught up in spending so much energy to hear they've forgotten that they're walking at the same time, and oh my God, they're about to fall. Um, and, and so so being able to provide that information to them so they can take more action to it. And also then understand how the how therapeutics designed to help them hear better are working. For example, is this hearing aid tuned its best or not uh, based on how you're responding to it? Not just to how you think you're hearing, but how is your body really responding to that hearing aid? Right. So, so there is a lot of opportunity in that space. That's that's where a lot of things are converging at the same time. Yeah, I mean, a smart ear approach to a hearing aid would be so progressive because we're using the same amplification systems we used, you know, back in now, yeah, 20 years ago, right, or 30 years ago, right, as opposed to, you know, um, altering that hearing. So as you say, so when they're distracted in their hearing, giving, giving them some sort of a, you know, a, a way to get refocused um, and to stimulate and to actually exercise their brain or their, their acoustic centers, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. Good. Uh, and, and it's the intersection between the vascular system, the brain, and technology is is right in the ears. That's yeah, I I I, I fantasize yeah. that one day these hearing instruments yeah. are designed such that they're actually temporary because they become therapeutic to help yeah, right. yep. heal. Yeah, where you don't need them, uh, you know, chronically, but more acutely for that therapeutic side. Right. Yeah. No, it's like a treadmill for the ears. No, yep. I love that. Yeah. I don't think that name is as catchy as I as I thought it was when I just <laughs> before it came out. But there's something there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I and, and I, again, I, I think, you know, just really understanding it is a first step, but then being able to think outside that box, which you're doing is, is vital. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's sometimes I got to get myself back damn well in that box because uh, we get yeah. so far out of it, but we always find yeah. a way. Yeah, no, you're on the way. Stay away from the magic mushrooms and you'll be fine. Yeah. All good. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, right. hey, Stephen, thanks for spending time with us. Ron's going to take us away and, and thank you, but we'll always give you the last word. But uh, really, we appreciate what you're doing, but also your uh, your openness and your, your great thoughts. So thanks. Thanks a ton. Really appreciate All it. Right. Pleasure speaking with you all. Y'all have a good one, huh? Take care. Thank take you. Take care, bro.
Thank you to Stephen LaBeouf for joining Dr. G and Dr. C today on the Abstract Doctors podcast. For more information on Stephen, please visit valencell.com. The Abstract Doctors is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information on podcasts, events, and subscription boxes, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on all of our social media platforms under The Abstract Doctors and The Abstract Athlete. The office is now closed, but join us for our next appointment soon.